0: This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska. A place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21.
1: When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved.
0: Well, Brent, I have to admit to you, hearing about a men's retreat where there's going to be prime rib, and then men are invited to bring their firearms. The fact that there's not going to be a sushi bar, and that guns are allowed, tell me that I'm not in California anymore. (laughs) You bet. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Every day is a new day. We're learning new things here in Alaska. But we're grateful to be here, uh, enjoying this tropical weather. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I remember uh, it was shortly after my back surgery, I was reclining in my leather recliner. It was the place of comfort. And my California dog, not an Iditarod dog, very Californian, a poodle mix, uh, jumped up on my lap and and I was really uncomfortable and I really didn't want him there but he was trying to comfort me and we call him Velcro Dog he just wants to stick to you and I remember looking at him and saying Buddy that's his name by the way if you have a dog named Buddy and you go to the dog park if you call his name about 20 dogs come running very popular so I said Buddy you are very needy and he looked at me And I paused and I said, but then again, I'm needy too, and we need each other. Now I don't know what your need is here this morning, but I know this, that we need each other, that we need the Lord, that He wants to meet each of us here in a very special way, uh, in a way that is meaningful to us corporately at Community Covenant, but also in a way that is meaningful uh, as an individual whatever your need is here today you need to know this that god is more than able let's pray father we thank you that we need each other lord that we need you we declare this morning our declaration of dependence upon you in christ all things are possible But without Him, Father, we can hardly accomplish anything in our lives of eternal weight or significance. And so, we come to you today as a body of believers called Community Covenant. And we ask you to meet us at our place of deepest need, corporately. And then we come to you as well, this morning, as individuals. Asking that you would also meet us in that place of deepest need. Bless us this morning as we hear your word, open our ears to hear, our minds to understand and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Bill Bright, uh, you know him, the founder and president of Campus Crusade, uh, used to tell us. A story of a of a famous thing called Yates Pool. Have you ever heard of that? Are you familiar with that story? Uh, there was a man named Yates. He was a a cattle sheep rancher uh, during the Depression in the area of West Texas, and he had quite a plot of land. But the weather was bad, and times were tough, and he could barely earn enough money to support his family. And like many ranchers during that era, in that time, uh, he became dependent upon government government subsidies couldn't even afford to feed his own family until one day some geologists from an oil company came to survey his land and much to his surprise uh, they determined that at about 1100 feet there was a huge oil reserve well The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, government tests showed that it still had the potential for 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates, (laughs) Mr. Yates, he owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and the mineral rights, yet he'd been living on government relief. A multi-millionaire living in poverty. The problem? He didn't know the oil was even there and that he owned it. Many Christians live in spiritual poverty. They're entitled to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and His energizing power, but they're not aware of their birthright. A.W. Tozer has an interesting quote. Tozer writes, Well, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We've measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher planes and the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We've imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to the substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap, synthetic power to substitute for the Holy Spirit. That's A.W. Tozer. There was a college professor that illustrated to his actually seventy professor that illustrated to his students the reality of the holy spirit in our lives now we read in ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 14 and following that when we came to faith in christ the scripture says when you believed the holy spirit came in to you and the holy spirit is given uh, as a seal that we belong to God and as a guarantee of our future inheritance in Christ. And so the reality is that every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit in them. Now the Holy Spirit is God. Did you know that? Uh, we as Christians uh, celebrate the Trinity, the, the Triune God, God the Father, or God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co-eternal, co-equal, co-powerful. Now, many people have sought to describe it and, and to help us understand it, but the things of God are incomprehensible, and, and this is a mystery of our faith. And yet, we, we see it present in Scripture, and uh, it's central to our confession of faith as as believers. So, this seminary professor, to illustrate the presence of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life took two glasses of water like I have in front of me this morning. And in them, he dropped two packets of Alka-Seltzer. So in the first glass, he dropped the first packet. In the second glass, he drops the second packet. Now, You're going to notice something. Both glasses have a packet of Alka-Seltzer in them. And it's representative of the fact that all Christians have the Holy Spirit in them. And yet, one packet sits in the water and it's dormant. While the other packet is doing what? It's effervescing. It's alive. Okay? Uh, the checker at the cars told me not to drink this. It tastes terrible. But here's the point. Okay? There are some Christians who have the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. And yet, their heart is not open to the things of the Spirit. Their, their heart isn't open to what God wants to manifest and what He wants to bring through the reality of the Spirit in their lives. Their heart is is closed. It's like the sealed alka seltzer. And then there are others whose hearts are open. And when we open our hearts to the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we seek to walk with the Spirit daily, we call that a Spirit filled life. Much like the glass of Alcacer our lives are effervescent in the things of the spirit now as we read in acts today there are three important keys that you're going to find to the entire book of acts here in chapter 2 one we're introduced this morning to the fullness of the spirit two the missional or the evangelistic ministry of the church that's that's present here in Acts chapter 2. And three, uh, the community of believers, the, the communal nature of the life of Christians, the community life of the followers of Jesus. Now what we see happening here as we begin Acts chapter 2, is that people from all over the world at that time, the, the empire if you will, were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the second of three festivals or feasts. It's known as the, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. Now, we, we read about these three festivals. There's the Passover, there's the Feast of Weeks or Harvest, and there's the Festival or the Feast of the Tabernacle. And we read about those in Deuteronomy sixteen sixteen. Now, the Feast of Harvest happened at the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. It was a time when pilgrims would come, to offer the first fruits of the harvest to the Lord and it's at this time that we see the Holy Spirit coming upon those 120 as the, the fruit of their inheritance in Christ and the people there that were gathered and those that would respond to the message uh, that we are going to read about later on in Acts chapter 2 constitute the, the first fruit of of a full harvest of all believers to come the first fruit of the harvest of all believers that will come uh, it's a a worldwide it's a it's an international harvest now jesus had prepared and had told his disciples that this was going to happen although they could hardly understand or really grasp the meaning when it did happen he had told them. Now, there are three scriptures, there are more, but three I want you to, to see here, that are really what we read about in Acts chapter 2, are the fulfillment of what Jesus said. What happened? The first is in John fourteen twelve. John 14, 12. It says, "'Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father.' And you might recall a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the ascension of Jesus, we know that Jesus ascends to the place of honor, the right hand of God the Father, where He is there to make constant intercession for us. He's there actively supporting us, supplying our needs. And as He's telling them here in John 14, I'm going to the Father. And from there, I'm going to intercede on your behalf. From there I'm going to supply what you're going to need. In John 14:16 through 17 he says, "And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you." Now, this is important because up until Pentecost, up until what we read about here in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit rested on Israel corporately and would rest on leaders, prophets and others that that God would raise up to lead, to guide, and to direct Israel. But... At Pentecost, the Spirit no longer rests on certain people. The Spirit comes and fills and indwells all the followers of Jesus. And it's signifying in the new covenant of Christ a new relationship, a new access to God, a new intimacy that all believers have. Jesus said, And the Spirit will be where? Not on you, but in you. And then in John 16, 7. But verily, truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? If someone were to ask me, wouldn't you love to have Jesus right here with you? Every day you wake up in the morning and Jesus is standing with you. You go out in the world and you you follow Him and you live for Him. And and there He is physically present with you. Wouldn't you like that? And you'd say, well, of course I would like that. And, and, And you know what? The first followers of Jesus, the disciples, they liked that. And yet here Jesus is saying, I have to leave so that you might be what? Indwelt with one, the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. And he says to them that, that because of this, you will do greater things than even I did. And of course, in this first Pentecost sermon that we're going to read about as we go through Acts chapter 2 we see that that 3,000 people came to faith in one day in Jesus ministry we, we don't read about 3,000 people coming to faith in him in one day and yet here spirit filled and dwelt believers, Peter gives a sermon. They're witnessing in in tongues, if you will, in language of those pilgrims, each hearing the message of the gospel, praising God in, the, in their own tongue, in their own dialect. The response is, Peter gives a sermon to answer their questions, and 3,000 are going to be saved. Now, that is a great work, is it not? And this is what Jesus was preparing them for. Not only had Jesus prepared them, but we read all kinds of of Scripture that, that this event is pictured in the Old Testament. For example, if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 24, it says, "...for I will take you out of the nations..." I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from your idols. Now, here's verse 26. Listen to this. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will remove... From your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So what, what we read here in Ezekiel, we see literally fulfilled at Pentecost. And then of course we, we can't ignore the the similarities between Pentecost and what we're reading here in Acts chapter 2, and what we read about in Ezekiel 37, verses 6 through 14. You're familiar with that story, aren't you? The valley of, of dried bones. And there, the Lord says, I will make breath enter you. Right? Do you remember in Genesis? God breathed life, right? Into Adam. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my Spirit in you and you will live. Now it's interesting, in the Hebrew language, the word for uh, breath, the word for wind, the word for spirit... Interchangeable, it's very similar, it can be used in, in different meanings, and so here we see this. And and as we see the Holy Spirit, and acts come as a as a rushing wind with the tongues of fire. Wind in Scripture is representative often of the Spirit of God, and fire we see God's presence and and his his purity. And so we see this pictured in the Old Testament in Ezekiel. Uh, how about in Genesis? Now, you'll see here a list of the nations, the people that came from all these different places. Uh, truly an international crowd. And as they were coming back to their pilgrimage, and by the way, when they, when they would come back, because many of them, this was a, like a, a lifetime visit, a lifetime pilgrimage. I mean, it was something they, they were going to do. In their lifetime, and and when they went, they would come for the Passover, that festival, that feast, and because Pentecost was 50 days later, they would stay so they could attend both festivals, both feasts. And so you had these international pilgrims who were coming, and we see the list of the countries that they're from. Now, what Bible scholar Greg Keener suggests is that the Luke merely updates the names of the nations that we see listed in Genesis chapter 10. Those nations were scattered at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. God judged them by making them unintelligible to each other. But at Pentecost... He takes these people from these nations that had been scattered and made unintelligible to each other. At Pentecost, God performs a miracle that transcends the language barriers. And unites them together with one message and what is to be one faith. And it points to the image that we see in Revelation Seven nine, one church in diverse cultures. Revelation 7-9 says that gathered around the throne of God are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so, Pentecost is a picture of that reality. It's powerful. Do you you see these uh, Old Testament pictures of of what ultimately happened in, in Pentecost? It's good stuff, isn't it? And of course, in Jeremiah 31, 33, the Lord says, I will put my law in their minds and write it where? In their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so picture Exodus 20, the, the, the giving of the law where, where God what brings the law to the people from Sinai And there's this mountain, and there's thunder, and there's fire, and the the people are trembling. And there's distance between God and the people. And there the law is written on the tablets of what? Stone. Now compare that to what we've read about this morning in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The people aren't distant. They're present present. They're waiting, they're expecting, and God comes in a very personal way. Oh, there's a the sound of a rushing wind. By the way, I, when I woke up this morning, our house was shaking. I said, what great preparation for this passage, right? And so it was a, it was a great event. It was a miraculous event. But it was a very personal event. Not in which people stood back and 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 in the fear of God kept their distance and watched. But one in which God was very present and relational. And established for them access and relationship that would be for eternity. What a contrast between what? Exodus 20 and Acts chapter 2. The Spirit set their hearts a fire. Now, a heart that is on fire for Jesus is a heart of conviction. It's a convicted heart. You know, there are a lot of people who cognitively read Scripture and they may believe the truth that's in Scripture in a in a cognitive way. Yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah, that that's true. But it's different than having a conviction that it's true. It's a a conviction that that God comes into my life to change my life, to give me new life. That that's made possible through His Son Jesus and the reality of the the Holy Spirit who who lives in me. And my conviction that 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 powerful message of the gospel is is not only for me, but that, that I'm to do something with that. It's, it's different than mere cognition. It's a a, a conviction and, and when the spirit sets a person's heart ablaze, they, they live a life that, that is full of conviction. Uh, they live a life that's that's connected. Do you notice what happened here? The Lord came upon them individually, but also what? corporately. You, you have, if you will. They didn't understand it at that time. But, but the birth of the church. The body of Christ. The, the, the corporate gathering together of believers. And oh, how important that is for you and for me. We need each other. God works with us corporately as He, what? Manifests Himself in us and through us Individually. Finally, a heart that's ablaze for Jesus is a heart that's compelled. You know, the apostle Paul says, "It's a, the love of Christ that compels me. I, I, I'm compelled. I, I, I can't control myself. I have to share the reality of this truth, the reality of the gospel, and of course, the, the great miracle of that day. As we as we picture these these tongues of fire and and these followers, 120 of Jesus, speaking in, in language and dialect that of the pilgrims who were there, it, it was a a gift, if you will, of speech. And in that gift of speech, it was a communication, a communication of what the gospel, the gospel message. And and we, as our hearts are set afire by the Spirit of God, are compelled, likewise to share that message Uh, it is what um, God wants us to do and and isn't it interesting strategically there in Jerusalem at that feast that there were people groups mentioned here from 16 different people groups from from these international countries and all of them would hear and, and some would respond and they'd say what's going on here that they must be drunk with wine but what does Peter do Peter takes advantage of that opportunity. And the thing I like about it is, he answers their questions, but the way he does it, he starts right where they are. Right where they are. In a way they can understand. And he refers to the prophet Joel. And literally what he's saying here is that they're not drunk with wine. What, what you are hearing this morning is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And really what it's talking about is the last days the time in between Jesus' ascension and His coming again. And He's saying this is the fulfillment of what what Joel was talking about. And He speaks to them in a way that they can understand and He meets them right where they are. And He answers their questions. And it's so good. And so we see that the Spirit set their hearts ablaze, a heart that is on fire for Jesus has conviction, it's connected, and it's compelled. But then we also see that the Spirit provides all the resources needed for us to follow Jesus, to live for Jesus. The Spirit provides power. Power. And, and in the context of Acts chapter 2, it's a, it's a power for ministry. Now you're going to see a pattern that's established here. What we see here in Acts is what's called an attesting miracle. It's done in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what it is, is that you'll see a healing or you'll see a supernatural event or act that will take place that gets people's attention. And then people want to know, well, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Well, the miracle then attests to what? the message of the gospel and the truth of the reality of who Jesus Christ is it provides the opportunity to share the gospel message and the spirit provides the power for ministry the power for ministry the spirit provides understanding, wisdom Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians all the things of the Lord are are spiritually understood Without, without the spirit you can't possibly understand them The Spirit provides guidance. The Spirit provides inspiration. The Spirit provides the the courage that we need. The comfort. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. For us and through us. The Spirit provides all the resources needed to live for Jesus. Louis Cassell says this. If you want God to do something, he'll make it possible for you to do it. But the grace he provides comes only with the task and cannot be stockpiled beforehand. We're dependent on him from hour to hour. And the greater our awareness of this fact, the less likely we are to faint or fail in crisis. What he's really referring to is our dependence is a Spirit-filled life in which moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day, our heart is open to the release of the Holy Spirit, to the effervescence of His activity in our life. And of course, the fruit of the Spirit is evident that we're living like Jesus, that we're imitating Him in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. And all those things are are evidence that that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. There's a story of an African pastor. You may have read about him. There's a letter found in his office, and this is what it it said. I'm part of a fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast, and I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm his disciple. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have the right to be first, topped, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, leaning in his presence, walk by my, walk by patience. I'm lifted by prayer and labor with power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, and my road is narrow. My way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander at the maze of mediocrity. Wow! What a life mission statement. The letter was found by the members of the church he led. They were cleaning out his office in the days after his battered body was found. He was martyred for the Lord. Now our words might be different than his, I suspect. And our experience, most likely, will be different too. But you know what? We can all surrender like that to Jesus. We can all live that effervescent, spirit-filled life. You see, the truth is this, that the spirit of truth that we see active and alive in these First believers at Pentecost is the same spirit that lives in you and me. And the power of the resurrection that rolled back the stone from the tomb and raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's resident in you and me. So the question is this. Are we going to be open? Are we going to surrender? Are we going to declare our dependence upon God and allow the Holy Spirit to come alive in our lives. Oh, how I need that. Oh, how you need that. Oh, how our church needs that. On the screen behind me, there's a simple prayer. I want to close my message with it. I'm going to read it out loud, but I would encourage you to make that your prayer this morning. As we recommit ourselves to God and to the necessity and the need of His Spirit in our lives my Lord and my God your words say I no longer live but you live in me I surrender to you now and I ask that in big things and little things my life would be a reflection of the radical truth about who I am in you I don't want to make this up I can't do it in my own strength I rest in you You now, and I simply ask that you will live through me as you see fit. Praise to you, God. Amen.